we exist to come alongside people who are hurting, who are broken, who are messed up, to come alongside them and give them love and to give them grace and to give them encouragement until they can rise above it and walk on that path on their own. We are Pathway Church, located in Burleson, Texas. We worship together, we serve together, and we grow together. Boy, I want to join Dorinda in saying just great job, parents, and great job, church. It doesn't happen by yourself, but by yourself as a family. You create an atmosphere in this place where kids can grow up and come to know Jesus. And I would say thank you, thank you, thank you for your generosity and faithfulness to God for these young. Can we one more time say, good to go, family and seniors. You cannot thank them enough. You, say, you just, you just don't, don't let these moments pass without really stopping to celebrate and recognize these milestone moments. It's really a big, big, big deal. And it's a big deal. Many of you are here in worship. I know some for the very first time. Uh, some of you have been back since the pandemic started, and it's kind of good to be on site. Some perhaps are here because you're looking for a church home, and we are honored that you would allow us to be a part of your journey this morning. I know we have some folks joining us online. And again, our friends at True Worth, I mean, our hearts are with you. You cannot imagine what you're feeling or experiencing this morning, and we pray you experience God's presence as we go through this worship time together. Uh, some of you may have already get downloaded your, your message app, I mean, your, your app for the church, and you have your notes there ready, or maybe you have some handwritten things. Get ready. We're going to dive in, and we're going to be in Genesis chapter 1. This morning, we're doing a standalone message. This is Senior Recognition Sunday, so we're going to do something for the students, but hopefully for all of us. This is really for all of us. Next weekend is Memorial Day weekend. That will also be a standalone message weekend. Then in June, uh, we're going to take some time to talk about what the Bible doesn't say. Have you ever heard anybody say, well, the Bible says, and you go, well, no, it doesn't. So the Bible often says, so we're going to deal with things that we think the Bible says, but it really doesn't during the month of June. And kind of clarify a few myths about what the scriptures have to say. Uh, but this morning, I want you to deal with kind of an issue and I'm going to ask a question here in just a minute. But I want to begin with some life scenarios for students. I want all the students, I don't care what age they are, to be kind of listening to this. I don't want all the adults in a second to kind of affirm what you think is true here. So here's the here's first life scenario, students and, and grown-ups here. You think there will ever be a time in your life that you don't manage your money. You don't manage your money at all. You have no savings account. You don't have a budget. You don't watch your spending. Uh, you don't have any, any sort of a plan for how you're going to spend your money. You just got to spend it whenever you want, however you want, and you're going to wake up one morning, and you're going to be a millionaire. Mm. Yeah, okay, let's consider this scenario. You never work out. You never work out. You eat what you want to. You don't have a plan to do anything as far as exercise. has zero plan at all. You stay up and watch your lazy boy rocker and you watch TV most of the time, all day and all night. But one morning you wake up and you can run a marathon. Do you think that ever happened? No. no. Let's say you're single and you decide to never shower, <laughs> never deodorize, never brush your teeth, never wash your clothes. And let's just say you show up to church one weekend. And the most attractive, beautiful person you've ever seen in your life turns to you and go, wow, you smell fantastic. Why don't you come sit by me? Do you think that will ever happen? No. And here's the point. You and I have a choice. All of us do. Students, you especially this morning. You can live your life by design 
or you can live your life by default. So let me ask you, grown-ups, are you living your life by design or are you living it by default? You see, if you live by design, you will live every day of your life with some sense of purpose that's greater than yourself. If you live your life by design, you'll live your life according to a schedule and a plan of something you're moving towards in your future. If you're living your life by design, you will invite people into your life who will help you accomplish the goals to live by the values that you say that are important to you. If you're living your life by design, you will stop periodically and examine your life. And you'll ask, how am I doing? Am I making progress? Am I making, moving forward in my relationship with God? How am I doing on that? If I'm living my life by design, I will live every day with a sense of determination that I'm going somewhere and there's a future for me and I'm going to claim it. If you're living your life by design, a perfect example of this is Jesus, who at the very age of 12, his mother scolds him because she can't find him. She finds him back in the temple, and she kind of gets on to him. And he says, Mom, don't you know I had to be about my father's business? At a very early age, he was living his life by design, and Jesus did it his whole life. You get on toward the ends of his life, and there's a point in his life where he says, I'm going to set my face toward Jerusalem. He knew who he was. He knew where he was going. And the little interesting little thing in the Greek, that word set my face, really is the word sterizo. It's hardly ever used in the scriptures, sterizo, which means resolute. I am determined. I'm not turning back. I know where I'm headed, and I'm going to do it, and I'm going to accomplish it. Because why? He's living his life by design, not by default. Now, some of you right here, you're thinking, I don't know if I can live my life by design. I'm not very organized. I'm not a list maker. You don't have to be wired to be organized and to be a list maker to live your life by design. The invitation is just to embrace your life. Live it intentionally, not by accident. And to live every day by your values, your faith that you believe what this Bible has. This actually is a guidebook for how you're going to live your life. Or you can live your life by default. And if you live your life by default, you just follow the path of least resistance. If you're living your life by default, you wake up, just whatever happens, happens. You know you have problems. You know you have some issues, right? You know you're, you're stressed. You know you're a little anxious. You know you're not doing well in that class. You know the finances are getting kind of getting kind of wonky. Grown up to say your marriage, you know your marriage is kind of not going very well. It's just kind of, it's kind of, but you don't do anything about it. You don't have the energy to do anything about it. You don't make a commitment to do anything about it. You go, you know what? I'll just kind of wait and see what happens. I'll just live by default. People do it all the time. You show up at work, right? You show up at work and everybody's got a bad attitude. And because they have a bad attitude, you go, huh, 
I have a bad attitude too. You go to class. Everybody's upset. I've been in class. And because they are, you, you just kind of default. You kind of act like they do. You act like everybody else. Live by default. See, if I don't choose attitude by design, I will get ingratitude by default. If I do not choose community by design, I will get isolation by default. If I do not choose joy by design, I get resentment, I get bitterness, I get sadness by default. So this morning, I want everybody to be asking themselves the questions, whether you're a student or a parent of a student or wherever you are in life. The question is, am I living my life by design or by default? Now, we're going to go back to Genesis 1, 2, and 3, and we're going to look at the original design that God has for human beings. And I'm going to point out in the scriptures from the story of Adam, three, four different core dimensions. Students, did you see how I noticed how I messed up there? You notice I said three. And how many fingers do I have, students? Yeah, see, that's going to happen to you as you get older, too. I'm just telling you, that's by design. One, two, three, four core dimensions of your life that the Adam story tells us that I hope students to think about, to build upon, but really this is for all of us, okay? So if you have your notes, here's the very first one I would suggest from the story of Adam. We're going to get very practical this morning, very practical. First one is, God has given me a bodily life, a bodily life. God has given you a body. Everything that exists, God has created, everything. In Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, it reads like this. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now, God is the great creator. And that word created in the Hebrew is bara, B-A-R-A. It is a verb. That little word bara, created, is 50 times at least in the Old Testament. And every time the subject of the verb is God. God does the creating. God created by design, not by accident, not by some default. God created by design the universe and everything in it. God created you and me in his design, in his image. So when you think about everything God has created, not by accident, not by default, but on purpose, that includes you. And that especially includes your body. When I think about everything that God has created, the universe, the stars, the planets, the moon, and the exact location of the earth with an atmosphere so you and I can breathe and live, the miracle is this thing of the body that God has given you. And the scripture writers even kind of emphasize this over in Psalm 139, a passage we have heard, you've heard many times, verse 13 of chapter 139. For you, we'll put it on the screen, you created my inmost being, God. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. Your body was designed and made by God, not by default. Your body is not an accident. It's a unique creation 
by God himself. You started off in the womb of your mother as a single cell. A single cell in your mother's womb. That's where you started out. And just the right time, that thing morphed into 60,000 miles of capillaries and blood vessels in exactly the right way so you could have a tent, a body in which you could live. Amazing. There was this mathematician, this college mathematician, who was a, a, a scholar and a, a great Nobel Peace, Peace Prize winner for math. He's thinking about the human being uh, developing from a single cell and the DNA instructions to make a human being. And this is what he writes. We'll put it right here on the screen. The complexity of single cell and the instructions in DNA, the mathematical models of how these are indeed done, are beyond human comprehension. Even though I am a mathematician, I look with marvel of how these instruction sets did not make mistakes as they build what is us. It's a mystery. It's magic. And he finally gets it right the third time. It's divinity. You are fearfully and wonderfully made by God. Every one of you. When you were in your mother's womb, before you were ever born, there was a hole in this little thing called the septum between two of these uh, valves, these two uh, chambers of your heart. And at just the right time, right before you're born, that hole closes up for the oxygenization of your blood so you can come out and breathe upon your own. In your body, you are made up of 139 trillion cells. You also have 139 trillion bacteria. How does the immune system know which ones to leave alone and which ones to fight? I'll tell you how. Because you are fearfully and wonderfully made. Your body is a miracle creation of the gift of God to you. Consider your eyes. Your eyes weigh less than 1% of the weight of your whole body. Yet in your eyes, there are 120 million cones, each one with the ability to measure light coming into your eye, even from a far distance, a single little bitty photon of light. Some of you students, if you're taking physics uh, in class and you're trying to lighten it up and, you're, and, you're, and your physics teacher's talking about photons and light and everything, you say, hey, listen, professor, did you hear about the photon that was trying to check into a hotel? And the clerk said, hey, a photon, did you, do you have uh, any luggage? He said, no, I'm just traveling light. <laughs> just think about that, some of you students. You'll figure that out maybe eventually. But the idea here is this, that your eyes are so brilliant that an eye can see the single flicker of a candle 15 miles away. Sense of smell. Some of you took smell for granted, didn't you, until COVID came. <laughs> right? And then smell went away. And now you're going, man, I love smell. My wife had her smell taken away in December. She still doesn't have it back. Smell or taste. She misses it bad. Two moths, male and female. Female moth. 15 miles away, excuse me, three miles away, three miles away, he smells this little female moth, emits a, something called pheromone, pheromone, pheromone. He smells it three miles away with his nose. 
He will not sleep for days. He will not eat till he finds that female moth who dropped that little scent so he could go, your smell is an amazing thing. Some people think that a test tube baby is a miracle. To think that we could put a fertilized egg and sell it as a test. And you go, that's a miracle. But this physician who's a parlor said, no, that's not the miracle. Look what he says right here on the screen. The mere existence of that cell should be one of the greatest astonishments on the earth. People ought to be walking around all day through their waking hours, calling to each other in endless wonderment, talking of nothing except that cell. Church, let me tell you something. God created the wonder. God created, the, God created everything. He created the galaxies, the Milky Way, the black holes, all the dark matter. He created Chick-fil-A and Bluebell ice cream. But the greatest creation of God is your human body. Don't take it for granted. Can we just stop right now and give God a hand clap of praise for the human body in which you live? It is a miracle. It's a miracle when you wake every morning, you take it for granted. And what you need to know, your body is a gift. God gives it to you only for a little while. It's on loan to you. So let me ask you a question. Let's say for high school graduation seniors, you get a brand new car. I'm not prophesying. (laughs) I don't know. Don't hold your parents accountable if that doesn't happen, okay? But let's say it just happens. Somebody does it. And one of your friends comes and says, can I borrow your car? And they take it out for a few days, and they bring it back. If they treat your car the way you treat your body, would you be pleased with how they return it? Just asking. It's amazing to me what we human beings do with this thing of our human body. When you read the scriptures in Genesis 1 and 2 and 3 in the Adam story, he gives us some ideas of how we're supposed to take care of the body. It says right here in Genesis chapter 4, chapter 1 verse 4, it says, God saw that the light was good and he separated the light from the darkness and God called the light. What did God call the light? What did he call it? Day. Day. He didn't call it light. He called it day. And then it says he separated the light from the dark and he called night and day. Day. What's the purpose of day? The purpose of day is to be awake and to work. It's to do stuff. What's the purpose of night? Rest and sleep, college students. Sleep. God created a day as a unit of time to measure. The nighttime is a unit of time to measure because God knows you and I need the rhythm of being awake but of rest. So he creates the Sabbath. The Bible says he creates the Sabbath. What is the Sabbath? The Sabbath is a day to worship and do nothing. Let me repeat that. The Sabbath is the day created for the body to worship and do nothing. Why do you worship? To let know God that God's in charge. Why do you do nothing? For one day that you don't feel like you're carrying the weight on your shoulders and you know that God is carrying the weight on his shoulders and you don't have to. For one day, you get, we all get to be little kids. Let God be in charge and just be a kid and rest 
and take care of yourself and let God do what God does. Let me ask you a question, though. How are you, are you sleeping at night? Do, do you go to, at nighttime? Do you turn off your mind and do you rest? Or do you still start trying to think and solve and figure stuff out? Do you have a set time where you go to bed on a regular time and a set time when you wake up so the rhythm of your body works within the rhythm of day and night as God so created? Do you have a Sabbath time? Do you have a time in your life, all of you, where you worship and then you do nothing but be together? Not just do, work, 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 work. That's how God created you. That's his design. Are you living by design? Are you living by default? Let me ask you, where did God, how you feed your body, where did God place Adam and Eve? What did he place them in? He placed them in a what? A garden. What's in a garden to eat? What's in a garden? Fruits and vegetables. Trees. There are no Dorito trees in the Garden of Eden. There were no Oreo trees. It's amazing to me how we'll bake these meals of, of food and, uh, with, uh, with lard and fat and salt and sugar, and then we'll pray, God, would you please bless this meal to the nourishment of my body? And God said, that'd be a miracle. <laughs> and yet we ask God to do it. Listen, I don't want to be obsessive or compulsive about how you eat and diet and all this stuff. I'm, I'm not going to be one of those guys over, over you. But I'm just saying, what kind of fuel are you putting in your body? The Scripture talks about this over in Romans 12, uh, verses 1 and 3. We'll put it on the screen. It says, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your body as a living sacrifice, not a dead sacrifice, but a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God, this is your true act of worship. The scripture says that your body is holy. You're to offer it back to God as holy. I want you to listen to this, young people. You get off to college and people kill you. Put this in your body, put this in your body, put this in your body, put this in your body. Your body is holy. It's not a machine. It's not neutral. Your body embodies the presence of the DNA of God himself. It's holy. The scripture says it's to be pleasing to God. You know, so many of us, we, we live in a culture that we're just not pleased with our bodies. The scripture says over here in Genesis, the end of the very last verse of Genesis chapter 2, it says, Adam and Eve, they were naked but they were, what, not ashamed. Let me ask you, how many of you are ashamed of your bodies? We live in a culture of body shaming, binge eating, tuck it here, fill it there, take it away there. We're obsessed, obsessed with our physical appearance. Your body is more than that. In the body of Christ, call the church. Can we just come to an agreement with what the word has to say? That your body is to be pleasing, not just to God, but to you. But when you say, I don't like this about my body, and I wish it could do that, and, and it's to this, and it's to that, and it's to that, it doesn't do this anymore. You can... 
Your body's holy. And God wants to be pleasing to you. So can we just agree? Can we just, can we just all agree that every age spot, every wrinkle, every gray hair, every bald spot, every shape, every size, every color is a body created and designed by God. God, and it is to be holy, and it's pleasing to God. He wants it to be pleasing to you. How are you taking care of this gift that God has given you? You only get one. Pastor, what about my child? What about my child? What about my child? My child was born disfigured. My child was born with, with a disability. Let me tell you what, disability and disfigurement it's not a part of God's plan. That's after the fall. But here's what I know. God takes every body, every single different body in this world. I don't care if it's perfect or if it somehow has born with some sort of challenge because of the fall of human suffering. God will do and can do something with every body that's magnificent with it. And one day, one day, everybody who's a believer in Jesus Christ will get a new body. It's a resurrected body, and it will be healed and be perfect. That's the promise of God through Jesus Christ of a resurrected body. So let me ask you again. What are you doing with the body that God has given you? Are you living by design or are you living by default? Here's a second thing that I would ask you to consider as far as what God, the core dimension of who you are, that God has given me a work life, a work life. That some people, when they look here at the, at the New Testament, on the Old Testament in Genesis chapter 1, they think the Garden of Eden was like a retirement community where Adam and Eve did nothing and they didn't have to start working until after the fall, and that is not true. Or right here in Genesis chapter 2, after the creation of Adam, verse 15. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. So from the very beginning, Adam and Eve are given a job. They're given work to do. And the work is to take what is good and to help make it very good. Again, did God put them in a jungle or a garden? A garden, a jungle, how does a, how does a jungle grow? By default. But how does a garden grow? By work. It takes work. You got to plant, you got to seed, you got to pull weeds, you got to harvest. It requires work. God partnered with Adam and Eve to help everything flourish, to take creation to culture from good to very good. God wants to partner with you and me in the work of the building of his kingdom. He's got work for you and me to do, to be a part of the new thing that he is doing in creation, to take something that is good, like he did, and take it into very good. Eggs are good. Eggs Benedict are very good. Wheat is good. Whole wheat pancakes are very good. Grapes are good. Wine is, I'll let you decide that because everybody's different on that little subject matter. But the point is it, is that you and I are called by God to come alongside him. And sometime in our work, it means taking in the fallen world a bad thing 
and redeeming it into a good thing. And you say, Pastor, okay, so young people, I want you to hear this. God created you to work. The goal is not to go to school and be a professional student. The goal is to learn how to be a part of a world where you manage yourself and actually have a job and work. Not just for you, but for everybody else around you. That is part of the plan. And you go, well, what if I don't like my job? What if I don't like my work? A lot of people don't like my work. Over here in Colossians chapter 3, uh, the Apostle Paul gives us a little help with this. He says, whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as if working for the Lord, not for human masters, since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It is the Lord Christ you are serving. Oh, pastor, I just don't like that teacher. I just don't like that professor. I just don't like my boss. I just don't like him. So? You're working for Jesus. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ, God is your boss. That's who you're working for. That's who you're serving. But I go to my job, I hate it. I go to my class, I hate it. I don't like those people. So ask yourself some questions. How can I bless those people? How can I bless that professor? How can I bless that boss that I don't like? How can my heart be in what I'm doing for the blessing of somebody else that honors God with my work. And the reward is not your paycheck. The award is that it's pleasing to God and your work honors him and how you conduct yourself while you're doing your work. Gallup poll, recent Gallup poll found that two-thirds of American workers are not engaged in their work. If I'm not engaged in my work, I work by default, I just punch the clock. I just try to get through the day. I just want to get my paycheck. I'm working by default. But if I'm working by design, by God's design, I'm doing it with my whole heart. Even when I'm asking God to help me when I can't do it. God, help me, help me, help me. Because some days, I can't do it without God's help. John Maxwell, he put it this way. He said, the longevity of someone's life is first of all determined by their genetics. And number two is by job satisfaction. Some right now are thinking, man, I better rot up my will before I leave church this morning. <laughs> I'm going to die before I get to my car. <laughs> you might be in the market for a new job. That's okay. That's okay. But while you have what you have, and students, right over here, you need to know that learning is your job. I don't have time to go over this, but over in, in, in Genesis chapter 2, he gave Adam and Eve the responsibility of naming the animals. He said, I want you to go name the animals. That wasn't just giving them a label. That is, I want you to study them. I want you to understand them. Understand the species, how they work. This is called zoology. This is called animal husbandry. This is called biology. The study of the study of something to understand it. That's what they did. So students, when you go to school, you understand your number one job of work is to learn. It's not to make good grades. I don't care what your parents say. That is not your number one job. It's to make, do not live by the crush of performance, of performing for the world. If you love to learn, the grades will take care of themselves. 
Just do it with integrity. No shortcuts. Be all in with all your heart. That's your work. And see what God does. Number three, moving quickly. God has given me a relational life. God could have stopped with Adam, but he didn't. He made the earth. He made all this. He made the sun, made the day. He made the fruits, made the plants. He said, it's good, it's good, it's good. He made Adam. See, this is very good. Then it says, the scripture says that Adam was alone, and God said, that's not good. And so we read here in the scriptures that you're made for relationship. When God talked about Eve being bored, sometimes we misinterpret the text that he took a rib from his side. Literally, it's not rib. The word is side. The woman came from his side as a symbol of no human being needs to be alone. We all need someone at our side. God created you to be connected to other people, not to live in isolation. He made you for a relationship. That's true for single people just as well as married people. No one is designed to live alone. But just a quick word to married people and for those who are thinking about getting married. If you're building a house and someone asks you, tell me, what kind of house are you building? You wouldn't say, well, I don't know. What do you mean you don't know? Well, I'm not sure. It may be a barn dominium. It may be a ranch house. It may be two-story. maybe one-story. We don't know. We won't know what kind of house it is until we get finished. Really, who would do that? You have a blueprint, right? So if I ask you, what kind of marriage are you going to have? Well, I don't know. I just hope it turns out okay. I really don't have a plan. I don't have a We're just kind of, we got married and I hope it turns out okay. I promise you this. If you get married hoping it's going to turn out okay, it's probably not going to turn out okay. It takes a plan. I remember when I got married to Dallas, I thought I knew everything because my parents are a great married couple. I found out I knew nothing. I had to learn. I had to read. I had to study. I had to observe. And this is true for single people too. All single people listen to me. But God gave you people in your life because you need them. The person sitting behind you and next to you, don't take it for granted. They were placed there for you to give yourself to them as a gift, to love them, to care for them, to serve them, to be present for them. Let me ask some of you married folks. How many of you work as hard at being married as you do at working hard as your job? Let me repeat that. How many of you work as hard at being married as you do at, at, do at your job, work at doing your job well? See, most of us do our marriage by default. We do relationships by default, and we do other stuff on purpose. So, are you intentionally inviting people in your life that will pray with you who believe in Jesus the way you do? Are you inviting people in your life who will lead you closer to God or just lead you away from God? Are you inviting people in your life who will tell you the truth about you? Are you inviting people in your life that you will tell your struggles, you will tell your heartbreak, you will tell it to them, you will share with them? Or are you just kind of a cold shoulder, just kind of keeping everybody just? Are you living in relationship by design or by default? And here's the last one. God has given me a spiritual life, and this is what I want you to take home with you. This is the bottom line. Above all else, you and I are designed to live in a relationship with God. And the great design of the universe, this great big design of the universe, the secret of life is to live in a daily relationship with God. That's the whole 
secret of life. That's it. I don't care what else you learn in school. I don't care what you read in the news. That's it. Relationship with God. In this chapter here, in Genesis chapter 3, in the Adam story, we see it. In verse 7, it says, the eyes of both of them were open. Verse 8, it says, the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. Walking in the garden. I love that image of God walking with, walking with them. When you read the Bible, you're going to learn about what it means to be walking with God. People walk at just the basic core being of being a human, right? Walking is about a relationship. Friends do it. Hey, meet this corner. Let's go for a walk. Married couple do it. You grab hand, date. Hey, let's go for a walk. Parents and grandparents do it with their little kids. They put their little finger out and they say, hey, let's go for a walk. Old married couples and walkers and canes holding on to each other. walk together. Read the Bible. Enoch walked with God. Abraham, Moses, and David messed up a lot. They said they walked with God. What did they talk about? They talk about what happened yesterday. They talk about what they hope to happen tomorrow. They just talked. They just talked. They talked. They talked about life. They talked. They had a relationship with God. Let me ask you, are you living by default? Are you living by design in your relationship with God? The scripture says God showed up one day to go for a walk and they were hiding. Why were they hiding? Because they were ashamed. They avoided God. How many of you are avoiding God? You avoid coming to worship. You avoid praying. You avoid reading this book. You avoid serving. You avoid other people in your small group who are going to say, hey, what's up? What are you doing? How you? I mean, you avoid them when you see them. We do it. We're great at not thinking about God on purpose. Please hear this. This is the thing I want everyone to take home with them online or in the house. If you're hiding from God, God will never stop looking for you ever. And here's my picture of this. Most Fridays in our house, we call it Papa Friday, or at least I call it Papa Friday because Lennox comes to our house, my three-year-old granddaughter, and we play almost all day on Friday, almost. And we play all sorts of games, but her favorite game is hide-and-go-seek. Almost in the whole world is hide-and-go-seek. And she says, Papa, you go hide, and I'll come find you. So she just starts counting, just boom, right there. She hold up, one, two, three, and I go, you're never going to find me, you're never going to find me. And she'll look and look, and, and every time she finds me, it's like she saw me for the very first time. Papa! And she smiles and her arms open wide. Papa, go hide again. I'll go hide again. She'll come running for me. Do you know that a three-year-old can play hide-and-go-seek for hours and never get tired? <laughs> and I get exhausted. Sometimes I'll go and hide in the bathroom. I'll really hide and lock the door <laughs> so she can't find me. And every time I'll hear a little... I know you're in there, Papa. <laughs> come out right now. And I'll come out. Hi, Papa. I found you. And you hugged me and everything like that. That's God. 
I don't care where you hide. I know you're in there. I miss you. I want to walk with you. I want to take your hand and just walk with you through life. But you got to come out by design and take my hand and accept it. And that's the hand of Jesus himself who on the cross, the son of Adam, the second Adam, the son of Adam, died upon that cross. God himself for the forgiveness of your sin, your shame, so you can come out of hiding. So let me ask you, are you ready to come out of hiding? Students. Stop playing church. Stop doing religion. Come out from the shadow of your parents. Come out of the shadow of your home. And take the hand of Jesus yourself. And let him walk with you. I just want to pray with anyone who can hear my voice now. And I want you to really be honest with God. Are you living by design or are you living by default? Are you just wasting away the days you have left on this earth? Just day to day. God, we thank you for the creation. We thank you for the universe. We thank you for the incredible world in which we live. We don't take it for granted, God. And for this body, this thing that you have made, that you have designed a miracle. Forgive us, God, for taking it for granted. Forgive us, God, for abusing it, for ignoring it. God, some of us have bodies that are broken and bruised. Some are disfigured. Some are diseased. We need your healing touch. God, we thank you for the privilege of work to be able to do something with our lives, to live for a purpose greater than ourselves, to not just eat and breathe and die to work and have meaning, to serve, to never retire. To never retire, but just to work alongside you, building your kingdom one more and one more and one more. And we thank you, God, for the people in our lives, the people who know us and they still love us. We thank you for relationships to give us so much joy, so much conflict, but we thank you for the gift of reconciliation through your cross, Jesus, to be resolved and reconciled back to one another. And God, we thank you for Jesus who comes to walk with us at school, at work, in our marriage, in our singleness. Help us, Lord, to live by design, your design. Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thanks for coming. Have a great week. Thank you for joining us. If you would like more information on Pathway or to get connected to a ministry, visit our website at pathway.church. We look forward to growing with you as we worship together. God loves you. God is with you.